thank you for um, the fact that we um, ex- that you've given us the grace to be among your exaltants. Um, it's a it's a um, dope reality to know that um, we've been called to participate to participate in what it means um, to exalt you in all the earth, Lord God. And Lord God, help our lives to exalt you with all the family reunions and um, family get-togethers this weekend. It's easy um, to exalt other things. And so God, um, I pray in Christ's name that you will be exalted high high above all the earth. And Lord God, help, um, help these opportunities that we Chopping up with friends and family this weekend. Some some people are gonna cook out hot tomorrow and um, go to like three four cookouts and get a plate from each one. Um, you know how we do, Lord. Lord, um, pray in the name of Christ that we would um, that we would uh, share the gospel. Open up the door for the word. Open up the door for the word, God. Um, help us to be help us not to kick open no doors, Lord. Help us to. Um, Help us to be led by the Spirit in knowing specific opportunities that you've clearly crafted and engineered for someone to hear about you. Lord God, uh, plant, uh, water, and add the increase during this weekend. Lord God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord God, our strength, my strength, and my redeemer, in whom I trust. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just a word for y'all that I have in meetings. Right after this, we want to make sure that we keep our children safe. And so it's kind of like a security issue. If you bum rush upstairs prior to parents getting their children, so if you could do us a favor just as a security measure and fall back. Um, some of y'all, when we say that, y'all still don't listen. Or fall back so that people can, so the parents, that means parents, you got to go get your children. And, um, and then you can go ahead, once that's clear, we'll have a representative of the children's ministry kind of let us know um, when uh, the coast is clear upstairs um, for others to come up, just so that we can um, keep uh, our children safe. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Well, we have been going through the book of Galatians, and we're almost to the end. Um, um, and I'm kind of... Um, I'm real excited about just what God has been doing in our lives and the testimonies of many of you um, who we've heard the work of Christ in your life this during, during the course of this series. Well, we, we're talking about life in light of the gospel, life in light of the fact that the gospel isn't the beginning, but it's the whole of the Christian life. Um, it, 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 it justifies us. It it sanctifies us and it glorifies us. And so, but it's all through Christ alone, through faith alone, uh, by grace alone. And so as, as we remember that reality that it is nothing that we do that engineers and develops our life um, except through uh, the grace and, and shalom of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've been kind of trying to hammer through chapter 6, 1 through 10. And this is the third week we've been in those 10 verses. And so we want to hopefully make this the last week. Um, uh, Pastor Branch is going to be up next week, so I'll be out of your way. And, um, and, you, and we'll, but we, we want to finish this section. And as we've been talking about, this is part three of the soul of the gospel. The soul of the gospel, the rule, the, the, the nutrients, the, 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 the baking grease, as we talked about, of, you know, the, 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 the good part. Uh, this is this is the core of the gospel, and many Christians in our Christian life, 
we can kind of miss out on these very, very practical applications that Paul lays before us to kind of begin to help us um, in, in, in our role in fleshing out the reality of the gospel um, in submission um, to God's sovereignty and our responsibility. And so the first week we talked about um, the idea of what it looks like to bear one another's burdens, and we kind of carried that over to um, last week and how the gospel impacts community relationships, not just community out there, but community within the body of Christ, the koinonia uh, of, of relationships that we kind of play a role in one another's lives to help one another grow. So we talked about restoration and, and, and the reality of the fact that believers need to be in clear restorative relationships with one another on a regular basis. So we talked about last week the fact that nobody knows you, they can't restore you back to anything because they don't know what you're dealing with. So we talked about some of the practical pieces of what it means to be in relationships with not everybody, but, 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 but flowing in a tight formation of a crew of people that you trust that God has knit your heart um, together with like David was to Jonathan so that you can have a, a knitted group of people that you're walking with regularly. And this week, I'm, we're going to finally get to the second point. We, that, that was the first point. So this week, we're going to get to the second point um, of that passage on the soul of the gospel. Of course, um, that we talked about the fact that the gospel last time impacts the soul of Christian relationships. And so that was the whole of what we talked about, of what does body life look like? Because many times people talk about body life, people talk about spiritual gifts, people talk about gifts, but they really don't have an idea of what the connectivity of fundamental Christian life looks like connected to other believers. But now, now because, because we've talked a lot about community, what I'm going to talk about today is something we don't talk much about because people normally jump to it. Uh, individualism is our normal uh, treaties or our normal, our normal cultural uh, relationship with ourselves because everybody is normally about me. You don't have to teach a baby how to be like me. They come out screaming like a mug for some milk because it's about them. You know what I'm saying? And so it, it, all the way through, the, I mind, mind, mind. You don't have to teach a child that. And so most of the time, you have to teach people how to relate to other people. So we spent quite a bit of time on that. But now we're going to spend some time on the, like, 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 like the, the aspect of our relationship with Jesus that has individual implications. Are you with me? And, and this is very important because this is going to talk about the self-management of the Christian, which brings me to the last point. The gospel impacts the core of the Christian's soul. The gospel impacts the core of the Christian soul. We left off at um, verse, verse 5. It says, well, I'll read all the way to verse 10. It says, for each will have to bear... His own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. From, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from, his, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to, the, to those of the household of faith. 
And so we see that Paul begins to go to the individual aspect of our responsibility as Christians. Earlier he says, um, bear one another's burdens or bear one another's load. So there are loads in the Christian's life that are unbearable, uh, that, that are not meant to be borne by only one person. That means that there are things in life that God has set up to make us dependent on him and dependent on his people. And so there are burdens and there are loads that God allows to come on our life where he says, look, I'm doing this to your life because you, your normal, uh, your normal modus operandi, your, your normal MO is to isolate yourself. But I'm going to use um, the, 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 the nature of this fallen world to get on your nerves to the point where you'll get in relationships. Now he goes and he does something dope. My man Paul, he dives in and he says, he says, everyone is to know how to bear their own load. That's good. See, 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 this is not the opposite, but this is taking responsibility for our own spiritual formation. See, there are aspects of your Christian life that nobody can do but you. See, see, some of us are so codependent. Some of us want everybody's input so much. Now, counsel is important, but there's a point to where sometimes you getting of godly counsel is you uh, 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 kind of holding back the willingness to take responsibility for your own spiritual formation. And so he says, every, he says, now, I want to balance this out. Paul always does this well. He says, everybody is, should be able to carry their own load. And of course, it points to something. The, the, the idea of this is the, is, is the force of the terminology here is that there are some things that it's too crowded for other people to be on. Yeah, there's some burdens that are only one person loads. And whenever you try to put somebody else on it, the seesaw's going to break. And so what Paul is saying is, Paul is saying, listen, it's too crowded. There's some things in your life that you got to get up off your own behind and begin to say, look, I'm going to do something about this. And so he says, everyone must carry their own load. And so parts of the Christian, this is part of the Christian that each disciple must take careful responsibility for. Um, my father in the ministry has a beautiful book on uh, what a way to live the kingdom agenda and I was talking we was at a, 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 a little party the other day uh, um, over the choose house and we got into a, like a big theological discussion and um, and well, I wasn't in it I stayed back they always want me to I just let y'all go at it do your thing fam I want to see how y'all thinking and I was kind of impressed with so many of the people of God here's um, theological framework but but, but, what it, but it was an argument about government not an argument a discussion and, and I thought back to, 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 to my pastor's book where he talk about, talks about biblically, and we're going to talk about this later when we get on stewardship and nature and purpose of the local church. But here Paul opens up one of those areas of government. There's four areas of government. There's civil government. There's ecclesiological government. There's family government. And there's self-government. The Bible teaches all of them. Now, none of those structures were created by human beings. All of those structures were uniquely created by the Lord, and all of them have their start in Genesis. We don't have time to go through Noah. We don't have time to go through Adam and Eve and those four structures of government within the framework of God's command to them. 
But, but, but here today, Paul talks about that idea of government. Now, this is very important. Now, I'm not, this is not going to be a politics message about who to vote for. That's not what this is about. Remember, this is about self-management. But every, every, and, and I like the way he describes what is government. This is very important. A biblical and theological understanding of government that's going to impact our understanding of this passage. Government, in the biblical sense of a jurisdiction, a specific realm of authority that has been delegated to us to accomplish a given task. A jurisdiction or a specific realm of authority that has been delegated to us to, uh, uh, to accomplish a given task. So within the, in, the, in the jurisdiction of, of civic, civil government, um, that's, the, that's our government. Um, the Bible usually calls them kings. We call them presidents, uh, uh, representatives, and so forth and so on. They have a jurisdiction of authority. The church also has a jurisdiction of authority. Of course, civil government we see in Romans 13, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. We see uh, ecclesiological government in, um, in um, 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 Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 16. We see that jurisdiction also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the whole chapter. You also see it um, over in Ephesians chapter 3. So, so the church has jurisdiction Places and, 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 and a realm in which um, 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 to order uh, based on God's delegated authority to a crew of people who have been drafted on this team. Y'all with me? Stay with me. Number, 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 number three is family government. In other words, there's, there's the governing role of the husband. There's the governing role of the wife. There's the governing role of children. There's the governing role of uncles. There's the governing role of aunts. There's the governing role of cousins. There are different roles theologically that every Christian is called to plug into. Now, all of these governmental structures make up what's called the kingdom. See, the church isn't the kingdom. It's a part of the kingdom. All of those governmental structures are a part of a larger kingdom. However, Jesus Christ is going to come back and reinstitute those things under God in an unfallen way later on. Lastly, self-government. Self-government. That means that there are, we don't even, I, I, I just had to stop. I just said, we got to get out of this. Like, we got to talk about the rest of this some other time. But we, we don't even have time to talk about all of the aspects of self-government that the Bible tells that every believer's jurisdiction individually over themselves are. We don't have time to talk about ladies' jurisdiction, a, a female's jurisdiction over herself and over her authority, a man's jurisdiction as leader, a child's jurisdiction of honor. We don't have time to talk about that. But Paul narrows those things down in this passage to a specific jurisdiction of your specific jurisdiction that every believer must be careful, must, must be thoughtful of making sure that they take care of the jurisdiction of their soul. The soul is the premier jurisdiction or realm or place where God has given you authority, good authority, not some old spooky authority, but, um, 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 but, but I'm talking about a biblical understanding of authority to, 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 be, to play our role in our spiritual lives. And so when Paul talks about these things, he says each person must take responsibility to bear his or her own load. That is, in Paul's context, in this jurisdiction, that is self-government, the gospel has empowered and freed every disciple under Jesus to govern 
the designated sphere where man will be personally held to account for at the judgment seat of Christ. So these are things that when every believer gets before Jesus, we will be asked, how did we take good responsibility for the gospel? If you look in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, it says we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne of judgment, that's for unbelievers, although they will be held responsible for those four areas of government, i.e. self-government, because it says they were judged based on the deeds that they did. Self-government. Not what their mama did, not what their cousin did, not what their uncle did, not what their buddies did, but what they did. Self-government. The unbeliever is held responsible for self-government, but the believer also is. Paul restates it a second time. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, And we must stand all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is the place, this is the specific stratosphere that Jesus Christ, listen, will bring before him each believer, and we have to give an account of how we executed ourselves based on his biblical principles according to our spiritual jurisdiction of our soul's execution of the gospel. And there are a multitude of places and applications of this. But Paul narrows it here to spiritual growth. It's to the specific area of the spiritual, the, the, um, uh, spiritual growth. These are some of the things that the community cannot do for you. The community cannot deny itself for you. <laughs> you, can't, you can't say, man, help me deny myself. Jesus said, he looked them in the eyes and said, deny yourself. See, you, nobody can help you deny yourself. I need some, no, no, no. Take up your, your cross daily. Man, I need some help, man. This joint heavy. You got to tell them, look, I got my own cross to bear. There's only room under your cross for you. It has been tailor-made to sanctify you. Multitudes of areas of you. Some, that's why in some areas of your life, people don't even know how to relate to. That's because God allows different areas of our lives to be off, off, uh, off limits to input because we have to carry that load ourselves. And you can't try to, we can't try to identify with everybody on it. But that, that area of jurisdiction where every day you must get up and deny yourself, take up your cross daily. And the third thing is to follow him. Nobody can follow Jesus for you. You can look at other people and have good examples all you want to. But at the end of the day, you have to get up and follow him yourself. See, that's the jurisdiction that Christ has given you. Christ, if you want to know what you're free to do and you want to shout about it, shout about picking up a cross daily. I don't hear nobody shouting about that. Hey, I got some money. Hey, I got a house. Hey, I got a car. Hey, I got a cross. Oh, a cross? Nobody don't want to talk about a cross. Who want to talk about the nature of why people don't talk about crosses when we get to the rest of the verse? Because this is going to be the central theme of what it looks like to begin to take responsibility for the Christian faith. 
And so what are they, and so Paul gives, what I like about Paul is he doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us specific examples in this context of also what it looks like to take up your cross. Number one, play your role in the community of faith. Play your role in the community of faith. Look at, look, now, although this involves community, it mainly is talking to you. And he gives three areas right in the midst of this one verse right here, verse 6. He says, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, what's interesting about, about, this, about this verse, and we're going to tag on that and verse um, 10. It says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So first thing he says is your responsibility. This is biblical now. I'm not making this up. He, he says right here in this context it, it, it's, it's that you must take financial responsibility. He says you must share all good things with those who teach. What's interesting here is I like this quote. The, the, the teacher relieves the ignorance of the pupil. The pupil should relieve the teacher of concern for sustenance. What's interesting here is, is Paul... Is Paul does an excellent job at saying, he usually talks about denial of the opportunity to receive a financial sustenance or to give to the ministry of God's people within um, a, a missionary, mission, and we'll talk about that in a minute, or, 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 or within the local church assemblies, or to give, it, give to other assemblies. But there's a sense in which every believer must take financial responsibility. That means, and, and, this is, and this is important for urban churches, because urban churches are so used to getting uh, checks from rich people in the mail that sometimes we can fall back from our responsibility and say, I need to play a role in this. That's why we, that's, that's one of the big things, and we're going, to, we're going to open up real soon after the next series, probably we're going to be going through stewardship. But the, not just the financial aspect, but a comprehensive understanding of that. Because one of the things that Paul is talking about here is if you're going to be a grown-up Christian, if you're going to walk in the soul of the gospel, and if you're going to be responsible, if you're going to be spiritually responsible for your own spiritual formation, you have to begin to think through and work through what does it look like to be a part of and partner in the local church's ministry by giving financially. That's very, very important, and I know that that usually shuts us down and gets us real quiet real quick. But the context of what he's saying here is very important. If we're going to deal with every verse, we've got to deal with every principle. We've got to deal with every precept. And so it, but specifically here, it's talking about sharing with the teacher, whereas more so we're broadening that principle to talk about, of course, giving to the local church that impacts those who teach or the leadership of that ministry. And so we see here that Paul dives in and he talks about the emphasis of that reality. And so as we grow and as we develop, as we, we're closing on this building on June 11th, and as we're closing on that, we're gonna, we, we, we are going to be raising outside funding. But it's going to be very, very important that if we are going to take indigenous responsibility for what it means to be a, biblic, a, a biblical urban church, um, um, we must begin to say, what is, instead of me buying a new pair of Krispy Tims, you know what I'm saying? Instead of me, you know, that's the first thing I do. I can't wait, man, because I need some more. I got a star on these joints, man. So I'm going to go, blat out, go get me that, and I'm going to get me a, a pair of, them, a pair of them, true, uh, them true religion joints, man. They got a, they, you know what I'm saying? I'm, they ain't nothing but a bean 10, so I'm going to go up there and grab me um, some true religion. The next thing you know, um, it's time to pay the bills. You pay the bills, and then you haven't given to the kingdom. 
And so what happens is, is you've trained yourself to purchase for yourself, but not see anything in your finances outside of yourself. And so biblically, if, 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 that's why a lot of times uh, the way we give is a barometer biblically for, um, for uh, uh, where we are spiritually. And Paul is going to lay this out real nice for us. Secondly, missionally. So we see we must take responsibility financially. financially and then number two, we must take responsibility missionally. Look at verse 10. He says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone especially to those of the household of faith. Now, he generalizes the principle to talk about general missionality of the Christian to do good to all types of people. So that means that we must, the doing good is not uh, merely financial doing good, but it's also whatever it looks like to be a good Samaritan biblically. So you must have your eyes on the lookout for what does it look like to do good on my block? What does it look like to do good in my school context? What does it look like to do good to all men? Uh, um, every, that means the, the, the Christian's responsibility is to the world. And so the jurisdiction that we're supposed to execute with, with, um, with split-point accuracy regularly is, is to evangelistically and to missionally proclaim Jesus through both life and lips. And that shows itself up in how we treat others. So, so, so you got to begin to think through, what does it look like for me to do good to all men? And so Paul calls us, he calls us to mercy and justice in that idea as a barometer for God to display where his people are in their spiritual vitality. I like the way Isaiah says it in Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6, 16. He does a beautiful job laying that thing out in Isaiah 6, 16. Isaiah says, Isaiah 6, 6, I'm tripping. Flat down. Oh, there it is, there it is, there it is. I'm sorry. It's Isaiah um, 5, 16. It says, but the Lord of hosts is exalted and justice. The Lord of hosts is exalted in justice and the holy uh, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Now, when you look through Isaiah, one of the things that even when you look through all of the minor prophets, one of the big things that you're going to hear over and over and over again is what does it look like for the believer, for the person that's in covenant with God to take responsibility for their spiritual life and how they treat the poor? A lot of people, like even when we were in Proverbs 31, a lot of people jump to the rest of Proverbs because they like the woman, the, the part about the picture of the woman, but they, didn't get to the, they don't look at the part where his mama was teaching him how to treat the poor. Earlier in this, in this very book, when Paul had the gospel tested, when he sat down uh, uh, with the apostles and began to relay to them what he was preaching to the Gentiles, and they said, man, you good. They bigged him up, uh, right hand of fellowship, fell back and said, one thing, don't forget the poor. And he said, of which I was eager to do. And so, and so as we think through our missional commitment to this community, we, we're not preaching a social gospel, but a gospel that's comprehensive and has social implications. We must play our role in missionally engaging the poor. And so some of us are going to have to adjust ourselves to allowing people who don't have as much, well, some of y'all just as poor as some of the people we're going to be ministering to. 
But 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 for, but 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 you know you know we get a little sedity when we get a little raise and we can we can actually make a car payment on time, you know you know what I'm saying um, we can we can we can buy a crib and what we begin to do is we begin to treat people who are not uh, who are out there as those people. We're gonna minister to them. We're gonna go down there. Like where that come from? And so Paul talks about the missional responsibility of the Christian. Now stay with me, because all of these things are building on what he's going to say as this, as, as, as these are orbiting items. And then he's going to go to the nucleus of it in a second. So he says we must be responsible financially, we must be responsible missionally, and thirdly, we must um, take a responsibility as a community. He says especially, do good especially to the household of faith. That means that when someone is in need of something and they're not of the household of faith, if someone who is of the household of faith needs that same thing that you're going to give out there, you've got to give to the household of faith first. That means that God's people, the needs of the body, always takes precedence over the needs of the world. And you see this in Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. You see it in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. I mean, in other words, there, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a look in which, yo, like, like, like even when I, was, when I was a part of the frat that I was in, that, that, I, that I kind of uh, um, I pushed myself away from, one of the things that was big is, like, if, if a bro was in need, like, one of the things that you would do is you don't care who needs what. Um, you like, yo, he's in need, a brother, like you'll drop everything and do whatever you can to make sure that that cat is laced even though you don't have it. And so the, and, and so I was, and, and the thing that, that kind of pushed me aside from that is that when the text says do good to those, uh, to every person, uh, especially those of the household of faith, I'm like, if cats in there ain't a part of the household of faith and the household of faith needs me, cats out there, I got to say, my bad, man. I got to fall back from you and take care of the household of faith. And so there's a sense in which there has to be a commonality, a camaraderie, and a love that the believer has specifically for the people of God. This means you got to love God's people. See, many of us don't love God's people. All we do is rag on the church. And so what happens is when new believers come into the, to the gathering of the saints, we create an atmosphere of ragging on God's bride. And what happened is that repetitious denouncing of the people of God continues its cycle. And what happens is, is nobody likes the church, but everybody comes to it. And so, and, so, and so what happens is we develop this device, all oh, the church, you know what I'm saying, we always, we are. And then it's like this fun fest of free-for-all for people putting the church on blast. But, like, I'm going to just tell you one thing. If, if somebody talk about my wife, it's going to be teeth loss. You know what I'm saying? You, gonna just talk, you can't talk about, like, Jesus' bride and think he, like, he, I mean, you, like, like, you can't just rag on his bride. So that's why he likes it, not exalting the bride to the place of Christ. But there's a sense in which, because Christ gives the church priority, we should give the church priority. I'm not talking about programs. I'm talking about people. That's, a, that's, that's different. 
That's, that's different. I'm not talking about programmatic outreaches. I'm talking about specific people that you have read. Because it wasn't talking about programming the text. It was talking about people. It said everyone, not everything. There's a difference. And so because of that, it's talking about the living organism of the people of God that we must take priority to love on. So that means we need to be calling the Claytons, finding out what's going on. Do they need meals? Do they need, what do y'all need in this time of grief? Text messages of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know what I'm saying? Doing good to them, loving on them. And we have to learn how to, how to vitally care for one another. But listen, it's not just talking about community. It's talking about your personal responsibility. Because sometimes what we'll begin to do is we'll say, oh, it's, it got done because so-and-so did it. But you didn't do it. And so that means that each one of us, I don't care how poor you are, I don't care how rich you are, how busy you are, and what you have on your plate, and how many times you come in and out of town. I'm just letting you know right now that that is not a part of what God was talking about that helps, that causes us to be able to no longer be held responsible for the fundamental biblical nutrition that's in the Bible. That is why your life must be orbited by what the nucleus of what the sole responsibility of the believer is. That's why I'm always talking about this, because we're always talking about people moving because of something else that has nothing to do with the soul. And so we want to we make moves in a way that says, how do I benefit the body through my divine wiring and through my gifting that says, I want to utilize this in a way that loves people, that, that, that does good to them, right? And so we see that that personal responsibility shows up in three areas, Paul says. Financially, missionally, and then communally. And so Paul then goes into a dope section where in verses, in verses, uh, a lot of us know it, verses 7 through verses 9, where he begins to talk about applicationally what it looks like to sow the right thing to the right place. He says here, so that means we need to, the principle is to pursue authentic relationship with God. He says, do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Basically, Paul is saying God ain't dumb. See, one of the things that Paul is saying here is that God has sovereignly set into motion a principle. Whether you like it or not, or whether you know it a lot, whether you're saved or not, it applies and it's already set in motion in some way in which God sovereignly does it, is that whatever you sow, you will reap. Now, some people have come to this text and say, if you sow exactly this, you'll get this. That's not what this text says. And we're going to see it in a second. It doesn't say that. See, people say, if you sow that, you're going to get this specific thing that you sowed. If you sow a seed of $100, amen, you're going to get this. No. 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 Listen, the one who adds increase decides what the reaping looks like. You're going to see that right here in the text. 
And so, and so what happens is, is that we begin to either, we go two places on this principle. We either ignore God or we, what we try to do is we try to genie God. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus. And they think Jesus is going to come up out of the bottle like this and say, Hey, Lord, your wish is my command. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Jesus ain't no genie. You know what I'm saying? Jesus ain't like the dude off Aladdin. You know what I'm saying? He's not a genie. And so some people, and this is why I got to say this, because some people blow away, or some people have demonically utilized the, the, the principle of sowing and reaping. However, evangelical fundamentalist conservatives have underused the principle of sowing and reaping. So there's a balance. There's a balance. Oh, that's too charismatic. That's for them folk that run around the church. Uh, hold on now. Hold on. Hold on. Don't use the, the bad end of some of our charismatic brothers and sisters. Don't make everybody that, that, that is charismatic like that. I got to say that. Because some of us are so, we're more charismatic phobic than we are homophobic. There are brothers and sisters, and stop doing them like that. But then there's a sense in which, like Paul says, don't think that God's sovereignty doesn't take into account everything that you sow. Whether good or whether bad. And you see the attributes of God beautifully in this. You see his omnipotence and his omniscience. His omnipotence and his omniscience. The fact that he sees all things and he has all power in this principle of sowing and reaping. Now, he says, do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that thing will he also reap. Now, let's explain that. that let's, let's explain that. Now, what we're looking at is we got to always, the center of the rest of this is the fruit of the Spirit. That's why I'm teaching this so slow, because I want you to get this. All of this rests on chapter 5, verses 16 through the rest of the chapter. And this part here is an application of what does it look like to experience the realm of the flesh and the realm of the Spirit. Stay with me. And so what he's explaining to us is, he says, this what it looks like. He says, the deeds of the flesh are, el- are, are, are evident. And he gives you those deeds of the flesh. Now what he's going to do is shows you what it looks like to sow to the flesh and to reap from it. Then he's going to show you, like, because he showed us the fruit of the Spirit, now he's going to show what it looks like to sow to the Spirit or to experience the increase of, we, we don't get more fruit of the Spirit. It's already there. We just, we just grow spiritually in a way where the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit being in us is more readily shown off in our lives. Okay? And so he's trying to get us to understand the, the specificity of what that looks like. So he says, he, he goes down and he says, he says, for the one who sows... To his own flesh. Underline his own flesh. (laughs) Will from the flesh. Underline the flesh. Will reap corruption. Stay right there. (laughs) What's interesting is that Paul says, so to your own flesh, but you will from the flesh. This is powerful. 
See, notice he's talking about personal responsibility for the gospel again. So now, when you sow to your own flesh, that is, operate within the realm of those areas within the deeds of the flesh as listed here. Or you can go over to Romans chapter, um, chapter uh, 8 and, and look at those. You can go over to, you can go over to 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, to, uh, chapter 6. He makes, Paul has a lot of lists of these things. And so what he says is, is when you sow to your flesh, you underestimate what, you're going to, what, what the outcome is going to look like. Let me explain that. Notice he goes from your flesh to the flesh. This is important because the flesh is not your physical body. He's not talking about your body. He's not talking about your heart, your feet. He's not talking about that. When he uses the flesh here, he's talking about a realm of fallen influence. And within every Christian's life, there is still indwelling sin. That means within the believer, even though Christ has come in and you've been crucified and have been justified by faith in Christ and have been given a new nature, there's a sense in which the old nature is somewhere in the vicinity creeping around. And if the old nature was not there, he would tell them not to slow. He wouldn't even mention the flesh. Okay? So what he does here is he says there are two realms of sowing. And the center of both of those realms is your identity. What is that identity? Whenever something bears fruit of something, you call it a part of a particular family of fruit, right? So he says, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. Now, what's dope about this is he broadens it out because he says we underestimate when we when we say, God, I'm going to just this time. And if you let me get away with it this time, God, then I see you underestimate your ability. I like the way I like the way Baxter says he says, you think you can repent within your own power. He says he says he says the, he says repentance is a work of the spirit. And whenever you try to sin and think you're going to keep yourself from going into a stronghold or a bondage, you think you have the power to repent yourself. And so there are several areas that the Bible, and I'm going to show you in the Bible, where it says that when you do this thing, it actually leads to so many other things. Like you thought you were just going to do that. But then all of a sudden it opened up the door for all types of crap. Turn with me over to, um, turn with me. Turn with me over to, um, let me see which one. Let's turn to Colossians 3. Turn over to Colossians 3, verse 5. Colossians 3, verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death what is earthly in you. He says, and he names some of those things. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. New American Standard says, which all amounts to idolatry. He says, see, you thought you were just sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. He says, but really that's idolatry. See, when you sow to the flesh, you don't, and so you think you just going, so now you sexually bound, but then not only are you sexually bound, you're also committing idolatry, which now you've placed 
that person and that act above God. And so what happens is, is when you sow to the flesh, it opens a multitude of doors for a whole bunch of other things. Oh, it's not just there. Turn over to Proverbs 16, 18. Proverbs 16, 18. Proverbs 16, 18. Famous verse. Pride goes before destruction. Hold on. I thought I was just being prideful. He said pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now that fall is real general. I remember when um, my man, um, uh, 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 Anakin Skywalker, uh, was about to fight. Be quiet, y'all. It's my stuff now. Anakin Skywalker and, 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 uh, uh, and Obi-Wan came in, and he's about to fight Darth Sidious. And they came in, and, and, and the emperor said, he's too much too powerful for you. You can't fight him. And he says, oh, yes, we can. And then, and then, and then my man, Anakin, he pulls out his joint, and he, he goes and looks at him. He says, and, they, and him and, 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 and he, he pushes him out the way, and then Obi-Wan Kenobi go back, and then my man Anakin comes in and starts fighting. He says, I've become more powerful than I became the last time. He says, and yes, uh, right before pride becomes the fall. And it was interesting that my man Anakin's pride caused him to go into a realm of the dark side. It caused him to kill. It caused him to think of himself. But he, it, we thought it was just pride. But see, pride is a seed sin for a multitude of other sins. It's another one I didn't even have on here. It just came to my mind. Thank you, Spirit. Um, for, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, The root of bitterness defiles many. Wow. So what happens is, is when you decide not to forgive someone, and you take a long time to do it, and the sun goes down on your anger, it, it develops mold. That mold is called bitterness. And when you plant that, a tree grows up of bitterness that has a lot of different types of fleshly fruits on them. But then others eat from it, and then they go carry the disease of bitterness to others. See, you, you underestimate what someone in the flesh will do. Now, let me just do one more. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll start at verse... We'll start at verse 9. He says, he says in verse 9, he says, but those who desire, stop there, stop there. He didn't say those who get. He says those who have a passion for. So just, this is just, you ain't done nothing yet. You just, you're like, the desire is deeply present within you, and you meditate about it. You think about it all the time. You dream about it all the time. What are you dreaming about all the time? Those who desire to get rich. Watching MTV Cribs, some of man. Man, look at his. Man, I can't wait till they get to the car part. Tag, I can't wait till I get it like that. I'm going to have it like that, man. And then some dude come on TV out there and tell you you can get it all. And then, and, 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 and so he, say, he says, he says, but those who desire to be rich fall, and listen to the language of this, y'all, into temptation. It didn't even tell you what kind of temptation. It just says temptation. 
That means it's broad. Listen to what he says. And he says, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He says, for the love of money, not money, the love of money, your passion, your dreaming, your pyramid schemes. He says, the love of it, he's rigging your life around wanting to be rich. Doing everything in light of, I can't stand what can I say, all I see in the Bible is money. See, know what that, you didn't start there. Because when you listen to the old sermons of some of them cats, they weren't talking like that. But when they got up on money, it began to grow and grow and grow. Then cats don't believe in the Trinity no more. And see, you don't know what, lift the root of the, see, it's the love of money, the desire for it is the root of all sorts of evil. Then he goes further. He says, it is through this craving, what is that, the love of money, that some have wandered away from the faith. Now, you thought you was just trying to get rich, and I'm going to use some of it for God's kingdom. Epiphany talking about, we want to plant churches, man. I'm going to get rich so I can help them plant churches. Now, you, when you, if your desire is not planting churches, but your desire is getting rich, then you're going to forget about planting churches because the more money you get, you say, God, if you bless me with 100000 more, God, if you bless me with, and you'll keep going, you'll keep going, and you'll keep going, and you'll find yourself in places where you didn't think you would be. And he says, and pierce them with many pangs. So when we talk about sowing to the flesh can reap corruption, I just want to, don't underestimate, this is good application, y'all, don't underestimate just one time, just this last time, God. Don't underestimate what you're, because you're sowing something. Every time you're doing, you're planting an environment for indwelling sin to reorder itself within your soul again. And I'm just telling you. I'm just, I'm just telling you. And I've been there. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt and the fitted. God, nobody has to know. But see, sin will snuff you out. Because you think you can repent on your own, but you go into so many different areas of sin that you don't realize that you're going public without trying to go public. Everything comes out. That's why it says, whatever you sow, do not be deceived, but God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. So what you're sowing to is a realm, a sphere, a jurisdiction of the devil. The, that's the devil's jurisdiction. He, God allows him to have that jurisdiction. But when you operate in those areas of the flesh, it reinstitutes you. Not You don't lose your salvation, but it reconnects you to that sphere where you've been bought from. Ah. <laughs> but, then, but then he goes further. He doesn't leave us there. He doesn't, he doesn't leave us there. He says, he says, uh, he says, for uh, the one who sows to his, uh, to, to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is dope. This is dope. This is dope. He's not talking about your personal pneuma or your spirit per se. He's talking about the Spirit. What's the last connected thing that we talked about that was of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit? 
right? So when you sow, this is interesting. And I like, I, 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 there's, there's some very interesting things in this part. He says, you will reap eternal life. Now, the sphere of the spirit is where the spirit's jurisdiction, even though the spirit's jurisdiction is the universe, like he, he don't like have, like he's not restricted because he's the spirit. He's the sovereign Lord. He, not it, he has jurisdiction. He has authority. He has power. And we can't command him. Let me say that again. You cannot command the Holy Spirit to do anything. He's your Lord. You're not his Lord. Spirit, I command you. Hold on. He said, who's Lord here? I mean, you don't hear anybody in the Bible doing anything, telling the Spirit to do anything but the Father and the Son. The Son and the Father send the Spirit, not us. You don't send the Spirit anywhere. Holy Spirit, go over to my cousin's house and... So, <clears throat> I just had to say that, because, you know, some of us think we are Lord over the Spirit. But there's a sense in which we sow in, not into the Spirit himself, but in the realm of his operation. Are you with me? And as we sow into the realm of his operation, he causes us to reap eternal life. Now, I looked up, I, I looked up and I said, this, is he saying here that we earn eternal life? Like, if we do the right thing, we'll earn eternal life? Nope. That's not what he's saying. If you go back to John 17, 3, one of my favorite verses, it tells you what eternal life is. John 17, 3 says this. It says, and this is eternal life, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. So how do you sow into eternal, sow into the spirit and reap eternal life? What is eternal, what did it say in that passage eternal life is? It's relationship. When you sow to the spirit, you reap a richer relationship with the Father and with the Son orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. So, so, so that means when you operate in the sphere of the Spirit's operation, your fellowship with the Lord increases. That's why when you're sowing to the flesh, you feel far from God. When you sow to the flesh, and you, you know when you had a sweet time with God and you'd mess up real bad, and you're like, God, oh, hold on, hold on. I want that back. Don't, I don't want to start over again. You ever been there yet to start? Oh, dog. I ain't doing that no more, man. That was sweet time. I was, I was, it was good and God. Now you got to start all over again. And so that's, and so that's when relate, and, and when you're sowing and you're, and you're sowing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. When you're sowing those things on a regular basis, your relationship with God is rich. That doesn't mean when you sow to the flesh that it ends, but it brings a breach within the experience of you being able to enjoy what Jesus Christ died for. So, 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 when, you, you, so when you love other people, God is near to you. <laughs> when, when you're patient with people that don't deserve it, God comes closer. He said, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. How do you draw near? Through the Spirit. If you're gentle with people that ain't gentle with you, he moves closer. 
<laughs> if you're faithful, when the situation doesn't necessarily demand faithfulness, he moves closer. But then you do all of this faithfulness. You do all of this love. You do all of this self-control. Sexual immorality. I'll start over again. Faithfulness, love, joy, peace, patience, impurity, sensuality. Backs up. So we sow, and what's, what's interesting about this is he doesn't call it the fruits of the Spirit. He calls it the fruit. This is key. That means that if it's one piece of fruit, all of it is interconnected. So just as you underestimate when you sow to the flesh what happens, so when you sow to the Spirit, you underestimate what comes with it. Because each one of the parts of the fruit of the Spirit are seeds. When you sow love, you're sowing all nine fruit parts of the fruit of the Spirit. Y'all miss that. When you sow gentleness, you sow all of them. When you sow self-control, you sow all of them. Y'all think I'm lying? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and keep your finger, keep your finger in Galatians chapter 5. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. All right. Y'all there? Look at, look at, look at what it says in verse 4. What does it say love is? Patient. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love is kind. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love doesn't envy or boast and is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is, it is not irritable or resentful. Faithfulness. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth, joy. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Self-control and perseverance or long-suffering. You see there how within the definition of love, all of the fruit of the Spirit show up where love shows up. See, I like the way my man... R.W. Stott lays that thing out. He says, he says, the first truth is that love is, is the preeminent Christian grace. The fruit of the Spirit. True, Paul lists a cluster of nine qualities, which together he calls the Spirit's fruit. But, the, but love has pride of place. We hear much about the Holy Spirit nowadays. He is no longer the neglected person of the Trinity. And many people are claiming spectacular manifestations of his power. But the first of his fruit and of his indwelling is not power, but love. <laughs> love. You want a miracle? You want a blessing? You want deliverance? Love. See, the, every piece of the fruit of the Spirit is present when one is present because they are not separate from one another. They just have distinct roles in how they sow to the Spirit. 
but all of them bring along with them. Love is like, come on, gentleness. Gentleness is like, come on, self-control. Let's go. We're being sown. And so, and so, and so, my man, a missionary says something. I like the way he says this. He says, he says, joy is loving exultingly, and peace is love at rest. Patience, love enduring in every trial and test. Gentleness is love yielding to all that is not sin. Goodness, love in actions that flow from Christ within. Faith is love eyes opened the living to the living Christ to see. Meekness is love not fighting, but bowing at Calvary. Temperance is love in harness and under Christ's control. He says, for Christ is love in person and love Christ uh, in the soul. I love that. And what's dope about, about, about this is when you turn over to Romans 8, 29. I'll start at verse 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So the central theme of Son of the Spirit is to be uh, forged into the image of Christ. While you're over in Romans, turn over to chapter 13, verse 12. He said, the, verse 12, it says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's the prayer for us, y'all, is that we would in the soul and the centrality of the gospel, begin to learn the secrets of sowing. The secrets of sowing, the, 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 the uh, biblical understanding of God sowing and reaping. And I like the rest of the verse in Galatians 6. Uh, Galatians says, it says, do not be weary in well-doing, for in due time you will reap if you don't faint. He's talking about sowing to the Spirit then. Because it's so funny. Sowing to the flesh reaps faster than sowing to the spirit. <laughs> See, when you sow to the flesh, that mechanism kicks in faster. Because it don't take no time to sanctify yourself according to the flesh. But what's funny is, Paul has to tell believers not to get impatient with God's sovereign process of sowing and reaping to the spirit. Because many times sowing and reaping to the Spirit within the process of waiting, God is actually developing you in the fruit of sowing to the Spirit. Did you hear that? And so that's what you have to understand. Some of you have been, God, I'm sick. It's been a long time. Like I've been walking with you. I've been, I've been doing this and I've been doing that. And, I've been, and God's like, keep going. Hold on. I got you. He says, don't be weary. Because he knows that when we feel like we've been sowing, and many of you have been sowing 
powerfully by God's grace. And God is saying, I want you to wait. And let this process of waiting developing you, developing you a godly, fruity life. That's good fruitiness, not bad fruitiness. Good fruitiness. And so don't be weary in this time period. Don't, don't be weary in this time that, that, that it takes um, for the Lord to work in you the very things that you're wanting from him. Because the thing that you're asking God for is not really what he's really trying to give to you. He's trying to work within you. So that when he gives you the thing that you're asking for that's in his will, you have been nurtured in the spirit well enough to be a good steward over whatever it is that he's going to give. That's what this whole process about the building was about. It really wasn't even about us getting the building. It was about him working within us a spirit of love, of joy, of peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so I pray for us today that we will be patient in these times where it looked like God is far away, where it looked like God is not going to bring something to pass, where he's not going to provide. And so that's why I wanted to slow down today. I want us to slow down and dive into the core of what it means to walk in the soul of the gospel. So that means you must become skilled as an artist in the art of properly sewing. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you have given us responsibility.